0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Business on the Beach. And we've got a special guest today. We have Stephen Anderson joining me. Stephen, thanks for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Michael. So Stephen is the author of the Bezos Letters, and he describes it as 14 principles that help grow your business or company like Amazon. So before we... Amazon, yeah <laughs> before we dive into to those, share a bit about yourself, Stephen, and how you got started in writing the book. Oh, I'd be happy to. So I've
1: been uh, part of the insurance industry actually for almost my entire career and working with businesses of all sizes to help them manage the risks they face as a business, be that a car accident or employee injury or any of those kinds of things. So that's been part of what I've uh, done for a long time. I started a few years ago getting this idea that as technology continues to develop as, as rapidly as it does, that the biggest risk a business might face actually might be not taking enough risk. And as I started researching that idea and looking at different companies and how they grew and how they didn't grow or went out of business, uh, I came across Amazon as certainly one of the companies that's known for being uh, inventive and innovative and came across the shareholder letters that Jeff Bezos has written starting in 1997, the first letter, uh, up until 2018, and was really surprised at how much information Bezos included in his letter on his thought process, his mindset. Really, what I discovered is he laid out, hidden in plain sight, his plan for growing amazon actually from that first 1997 letter and at that point um, they were only a few years old so early on in the growth of amazon he was laying out what would become uh, his plan for the success that amazon has uh, has found so that that then uh, f- through the council of several people I trust uh, was told that that was a book and um, I'm thrilled to have it out. It was actually released this week um, and um, the the response has been
0: um, really pretty amazing. So it's interesting that this is based on shareholder letters. So this is based on, I guess, helping them understand the, the future of how Amazon's going to grow and what direction is going to take it and why it's going to take it that way and what are the benefits and all those things. So before we went on to record, you mentioned that one of the principles is actually focusing on the customer, which to, to, you know, to first look is kind of like, that's a bit odd. Like he's, he's, he's approaching it from customer-centric side to please shareholders. So he was very much, I guess, before his time, so to speak, with the way he was thinking, wasn't he?
1: Yes, very much so. In fact, the 1997 letter um, is, is really full of, here's my plan and here's how I'm going to run this business. And in fact, he actually says in that 97 letter that if this doesn't meet your investment philosophy, then we are likely not a good company to invest in. So he's actually educating his shareholders on Amazon and how they're going to operate. And a couple things stand out that we can talk about a little bit later if we want, But but one of the big things was long-term thinking. So he basically said we're going to invest any profits back into the business because we believe that scale on the internet is going to be an important factor. Mm -hmm. The other, and again, in the 97 letter, he talks about it is this idea of obsess over customers. Um, And for Bezos that has a different meaning than I think it does for most businesses. Most businesses, no customers are important. That that's not the point how important, and, and we have lots of terms we use to talk about customers, customer experience, customer uh, focus, customer service. Yes. But at Amazon, very specifically, he uses the word obsess. And he, he repeats that multiple times through the years. So everything at Amazon is filtered through the lens of, is this better for the customer? And, and what's interesting to me, when I think about the word obsessive, that has some negative connotations to it too, like mm, over yeah. the top focused, right? But in his case, that is a core mindset at Amazon. And you actually see that coming out in all kinds of different things and uh, products and services. So uh, an early one was prime, right? Free shipping. Well, absolutely unheard of at the time. And in fact, senior leaders at Amazon were against it. But Bezos said, no, I think this is going to be key because it removes a barrier to the customer. They don't have to go, oh, do I want to pay the shipping to buy this product? And he said, over the long term, that will benefit shareholders because today, on average, a Prime member spends twice as much on Amazon as a non-Prime member. And so they they get the benefit. And um, so, so that's that, that obsession is a very different view than what most businesses think about their customers.
0: Is there an element of, like, the obsess over the right things? And there are a lot of companies out there that might actually obsess over the wrong things. So how... How would you go about distinguishing between the two? Because you can obsess over amazing things. I mean, I know from when I was in the UK. I mean, free shipping, Amazon. That would make my that'd make my day. That 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 would actually cause me to change my buyer behavior. I would buy yep. something based on the fact that it was shit for free and nine times out of 10 would arrive the next day. So I, so I could be a bit more spontaneous with my book buying, right? I, I, I could buy something. know, Oh, I'm getting quite close to my book finishing. I'll buy another one. it's going to be here tomorrow already for when I attack the, the book. Right. But right. if I've got to wait three or four or five or seven days, there's a bit more, I've got to predict when I'm going to need something. So, and so some people don't like that. Some people would rather go, well, I need it now. So I want to buy it now and then it will turn up. So is there an element of sometimes it's about shaping how the customer does things, but also preemptively thinking what they would want as well? Because before Amazon Prime, we were probably quite happy, you know, with longer waits for our stuff. But right. since no. Prime, now it's that right, we need it now.
1: Yeah, now everybody's doing it, right? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it, and that's an example of how Amazon has actually set the standard for what other e-commerce platform companies need to do. So I I think, you know, part of your question is, how does Amazon know what to focus on when, it, when it's looking at the customer? Yeah. And I would say yeah. they don't always. But they're willing to experiment and test ideas, and you know the first principle I I talk about is encourage successful failure. Well, Amazon is always testing. They're coming up with ideas. They're very inventive. In fact, uh, Bezos talks a lot about in his letters inventing on behalf of the customer. So this whole idea that you said of Prime, nobody knew that they would love, actually people knew they would like free shipping, but nobody expected it because nobody did it. And literally Bezos made a gut level decision that this was going to be good for the customer, therefore we should do it. Another example of that is Amazon Marketplace. So Marketplace is the third party platform that, and literally Amazon has put, you know, thousands of businesses in business by allowing them to sell their products on the Amazon website, literally right next door to Amazon products. Again, originally in the early 2000s, when this idea came up, they went through two iterations of testing this idea that were utter failures. Uh, It was uh, Amazon auctions and Amazon Z shops until they came uh, upon the idea for marketplace, which put both products side by side. Again, if it's better for the customer, then it's ultimately gonna be better for Amazon. So what Bezos said was, if the customer has wider selection, even if it's not our product, they will trust us more and come back more to buy. And that will lead to more sales and more people coming on the platform. And so that's where testing becomes and experimenting becomes a core value at Amazon. You see them do this all the time. You know, they try things and then they close it down if it's not hitting the metrics or it's not doing what they thought it would do or it's not having the impact. But even their website is so easy. When I ask people, why do you shop on Amazon? A common response is, it's just easy. Well, that's been intentional experimentation over 25 years, removing friction for people searching and buying products online. And I'll say at this point, Amazon's not perfect and neither is Bezos, and they make mistakes. But it appears most of the time, if not all the time, once they are convinced they did something wrong, uh, they are pretty quick to adapt and change that to whatever. And and so it, it is this mindset of remembering their early days of a, being a startup.
0: Are there any other keys that spring to mind? As you mentioned, being obsessing over the customer. I know we dove into a little bit on that because I think that's, that's where a lot of companies tend to go these days is focus on the customer the bit that I think that you mentioned and I think that it's very important just for me to repeat is it it's about benefiting indirectly as well right like if it benefits the customer it's always going to benefit Amazon in some way even if they're not buying something directly from their shop it's about it was going to benefit them they'll trust Amazon more and keep coming back. I know that I trust Amazon more than some companies, not not because I always buy their stuff, but because I buy from there and no matter what, it's either handled well if it's a mistake or it's always dealt with really well if it's something I do actually want. So it's almost like they focus on the customer it's never at the company's detriment even though they're prepared to do that like it's prepared they're prepared to do it at the expense of the company but it never really seems to work that way does it right yeah and,
1: and i think that's you know again short-term versus long-term thinking i think is a core uh, idea here uh, bezos th- is thinking long-term he's thinking multi-year uh, and and not he is, has not allowed Amazon to be fit into the Wall Street quarterly earnings call. He, he, uh, he thinks that's a mistake, certainly for Amazon, and he thinks it is for other companies. Yeah. You need to take a longer view. And you certainly look at Amazon's, you know, all the various measurements from stock price to uh, uh, actual profit, you know, the first 10 years, they didn't hardly make any profit at all, but they were reinvesting. And then that long-term view started taking off as the the benefit of all of that started having a bigger and bigger impact. But that's really hard for businesses to take a longer-term view and not a short-term
0: profit view. Is there anything you can point to around multi-year thinking? Because I find that although... At first point, it tends to go against what people tend to think business-wise. You mentioned the quality review and all that sort of thing. I mean, even like health and fitness is based on like the annual, you know, New Year's resolutions, right? So we don't tend to think in three-year, four-year, five-year sort of timeframes and making those decisions as well. You make a decision that's based on a four or five years, sort of, we would be better off in that time period, and then having the ability to adapt and change and get rid of it if it doesn't work. So is it like a, a long-term decision with this sort of get out clause if it doesn't work or is it a bit more to it than that?
1: No, I, I think it's two things. One, it's a, a willingness to nurture new entities. So new ideas, new products, new services. I, I'll give you a current example where I think it illustrates a long-term view. One of the newer Amazon projects is called Project Kuiper. uh, K-U-P-I-E-R, I I believe. And that is Amazon through Bezos space company, Blue Origin, uh, putting over 3000 satellites into low earth orbit. And in recent interviews over the last 18 months or so, Bezos has said, we, I think this might be our next big idea. So Bezos has identified three big ideas at Amazon that generate the vast majority of their uh, revenue and uh, profit. It is marketplace, Mm -hmm. which by the way, in 2018 represented 58% of all products sold on the amazon.com website were by third-party sellers, not from Amazon. The second was Prime, as we've already talked about. And the third was Amazon Web Services. So he calls those their big uh, ideas. And he says this new satellite might be the next big idea because it would provide high-speed internet access virtually anywhere on the planet. Now uh, Elon Musk, SpaceX, is also working on a similar kind of project. But that's that's a long-term thinking bet. That's five to 10 years more than likely. But he's willing to invest funds in it now so that they can reap the rewards uh in multiple years so that that's just a, a easy example the marketplace took multi-years to actually build out and and see the revenue generation there so did the amazon web services so in an interesting a couple of interviews uh, bezos talks about this he says when we have a good quarterly earnings, right? We, we hit our targets and we make more money. Uh, people congratulate me. And he says that, he thanks them, but he also says, well, that quarter was baked in three years ago. Mm-hmm. So again, thinking in, in his mind, three to five years out, that quarter we already had locked in that long ago. And, and I think I like that. that's the long-term thinking idea. And it, frankly, Michael, it illustrates how these principles interact with each other. So none of these are just on their own, but they interact with each other. And I think that's the power of understanding the
0: various principles that really sort of hit home for me a little bit because a lot of people tend to they tend to relate business at least to more exponential type gains like it never feels like it's working until it does and Wait. i think that 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 sort of works because you say well that quarter there where we hit all our targets everything went really really well that was all made three years ago and that the plan started then and then we made that, that quarter there that was already sort of locked in years ago. Does, is there, because there are people listening to this might be thinking, well, I can't afford to wait three years to see if something actually works. So is there an element of, okay, well maybe we need to do a few short-term things. Maybe there is sort of a, a day-to-day, we need to work on this, work on that, work on this, work on that. And then behind the scenes you've got, because I imagine Amazon, you've got similar to to Google, that have got this like X team, right? Where they go in and all these moonshot sort of ideas that might work in three or five years, but they've also got people that do all the sort of, you know, this month we're gonna focus on this, this month we're gonna focus on that. Is it a departmental thing? Is it every single company can work like this? Or is it a case of, well, if you're a single person running a, a business, then you have to wear these hats because it's the only way of actually making it work.
1: So a couple of kind of comments there. First, from, from Amazon's perspective, uh, principle number three is practice dynamic invention and innovation. And at Amazon, there is not a separate department that does invention and innovation. Every employee is expected to come up with ideas to improve whatever their world is at Amazon whatever they touch and then pitch that to their supervisor their manager their department head whoever that is mm. and then see and and have data to see okay why does this happen that's one of the reasons Amazon is it continues to be as large as it is one of the most innovative company and one of the companies that ha- it, creates inventions so much because it's a core value at the entire business. Now, for the smaller, you know, entrepreneur, solopreneur, what I would say is there's no question, you know, we all are scrambling day to day how where's the revenue coming from and in the midst of all of that, can you carve out some time, 10%, maybe a, an hour a week we can all carve that out to think about not what am I going to do tomorrow, but what do I need to be doing this month to plan for next year? So it's, it's partly discipline to not get so involved with the urgent, to quote Stephen Covey, at, and be able to focus on what's important long term.
0: That's, yeah, I thought I'm pausing there because I think it's something, yeah, (laughs) it made me think. Um, (laughs) Is is there an element of, because you mentioned Amazon, everyone's got the freedom at least to pitch something to their superiors, to their supervisors, to the people that can either make the decision whether or not to go for it or not or to at least go that's a good idea we'll pass it over to the person that can think over it and make sure we can make it happen is that have you spoken to other companies and sort of said oh that's something that's actually synonymous with these kinds of hypergrowth growth companies or is it a rarity uh from my view right now i would say it's a rarity uh partly because
1: um I think a couple mindsets make that possible. First is uh, Bezos says Amazon is the best place in the world for an employee to fail. And most companies don't have that mindset. Now in that same breath, I have to say, Amazon has an intolerance for incompetence. So every employee is expected to bring their very best every day. Uh, And in fact, if you, you know, talk uh, in, in talk about amazon often what comes up is it's a hard place to work and it is uh, because they have high standards and they don't compromise high standards just to hire somebody to fill a spot and actually that's one of the principles in the scale so as you're growing h- how do you maintain the standards that you had at the beginning Um, That was one of my original questions was Amazon now has worldwide a little over 650,000 employees. How have they maintained that culture? How do they continue to hire people with uh, high quality and high standards? And at the same breath, it's, it's a hard place to work. Um, I was at a Amazon recruiting event earlier this year here in Nashville, where I live. uh, And when Amazon announced its two new headquarters, New York, which they uh, did back away from and Washington DC area, Crystal city, Virginia, they also announced that they were bringing 5,000 jobs to Nashville for uh, what they call a center of excellence. And so um, in that, Uh, They were at the Ryman Auditorium on stage and senior VP David Clark was asked the question, Amazon is a hard place to work. It's what we hear. How would you respond? And he said, it is. We have high standards and we're doing work that's important. And in fact, Bezos says in the 97 letter, we're doing work that we can tell our grandchildren about. By the Mm -hmm. way, another little example of his
0: long term thinking. I get the funny feeling that it's almost like you mentioned, oh, well, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, we change and we move on. I think that is there an element of there's half a chance that they could all work, all these innovations, all these changes, all these all these adaptations. That They're not doing it mindlessly. They're very thoughtful about what they do, and it could still not work, but at least... Yeah there's half a chance. And you mentioned right at the beginning that the biggest risk that people take is not taking any risks. But how, how calculated are those risks before they actually take action to begin with?
1: So Amazon has a process internally to help manage that process, that, that identification and how do, we, how do we, as I call it, protect the downside of the risk we know we're taking. Uh, and it's called a six-page memo. So when a meeting is called at Amazon, actually any type of meeting, but let's say this meeting is to uh, green light, a new idea, a new product, a new service, something that they want to develop. PowerPoint is banned at Amazon, PowerPoint keynote, there are no presentations done oh, that yes. way. <laughs> but what they do do, the person calling the meeting, asking for the approval, that, he, that person and their team is required to create a maximum of a six page memo. That memo has a, a, a structure to it. It's adaptable, but there's a structure to it. The first part of it is called the future press release. And so they have to write the press release the day the product is announced and released to the public, talking okay. about the benefits, talking about what, you know, why people should uh, embrace this. Then they have uh, frequently asked questions about it. They have the data behind supporting their position of why this is something we should move forward on. What's interesting is that according to Bezos and he talks about this in his letters, that memo, if it's going to be a good memo takes at least a week to write. Now think about if you had to do that for every meeting called what would that do to the number of meetings called right so right there they're mm. focusing on they're, they're they, they call it they're slowing down to speed up that memo is not handed out before the meeting it's handed out at the meeting and the first 10 15 30 minutes of the meeting is spent reading the memo silently like a study hall and then it's opened up for questions So now everybody in that meeting is on the same page. They've just read the same information. They don't have to go over any of that or fill anybody in who didn't get a chance to read it beforehand, and now they can address the questions that come up, maybe some holes in the logic. So so that's really interesting to me. And then because they went through that exercise, let's say they get approval, they move forward, they do the product, and it didn't work out. Uh, I'll tell you in a minute, one of Amazon's biggest failures. But if they fail at whatever they thought was going to work, now they have a document to go back to and debrief. What were assumptions that we made originally that were not accurate? What did we not understand? What changed? And so they can learn from that decision, what didn't work out and hopefully mitigate those kinds of issues in new products and new services yeah
0: Yeah, i really get the i like that it's all done at the meeting as well because i can't tell you how how painful it is to try and memorize something and then at the meeting you forgot it all and then it kind of almost dilutes the whole meeting if everyone remembers different parts of the same thing you mentioned sharing about one of amazon's biggest failures do you want to talk to us about that
1: I will. Uh, Many people don't remember that Amazon created and released to great fanfare a phone. It's called the Fire Phone in 2014. It was Jeff Bezos' pet project. He thought this was going to be the next greatest thing. And it had some interesting technology development that made it a bit different than anything else out there at the time. But it was basically a phone to help you shop on Amazon easier. And Ah. frankly, nobody needed that. And so at one point, they lowered the price of the phone to 99 cents, and they still couldn't give it away. So (laughs) in one quarter, they wrote off $178 million in inventory as a loss. So that's a pretty big failure. Yeah. However... What came out of that? So the group that created the phone was the same group that created the Kindle, the uh, electronic reader. It's called Lab 126. And that group did the Fire Phone also. That group also created the Amazon Echo. So Echo and Alexa, we typically call it Alexa, but Alexa is the machine learning platform that responds to questions. Echo is the hardware device. Yeah. Everything they learned about voice processing and phone and all of those things was put into the Echo. And that's certainly looking like it is uh, going to be another big bet for Amazon. Do
0: Do companies like this tend to... Like, for instance, that's a pretty big number in terms of a write-off regarding the phone. But then the Echo is something that would probably t- take over our lives in about five years or 10 years. So is there an element of they feel happy about the phone because the Echo came along and then Alexa's taken over our lives a little bit? Like, would would the response be as pretty if the echo didn't do as well either like how, how how would you see that board meeting going if the echo was a flop as well
1: well i i would think it would go like most board meetings would go in that situation and and it really goes back to they don't want failure uh, they don't seek failure but they also understand that failure is part of experimenting and that by its very nature, an experiment can fail. Because if if you don't think it's gonna fail, it's not an experiment. And in fact, Bezos has said over the last couple years that as Amazon grows, their failures need to grow. They need bigger and bigger failures because if they don't have them, they're not moving the needle enough to impact Amazon. So again, very counterintuitive. So they, they don't like failure, nobody likes failure. But I actually think people don't like the consequences of failure. I think a lot of people understand, we learn, we test. I mean, think about when you learn to walk and, and you know, I have seven grandchildren. So watching them learn to walk, you know, they fail and fall and you know, all the time until they get it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at NASA, and I mean, they blew up all kinds of rockets getting to the moon. I mean, so there is an understanding there. Unfortunately, too many businesses punish failure, so it's the consequences that people don't like, and that that culture actually reduces experimentation because I'm not going to put my you know career at risk by trying this out, and that slows down companies and, and, and into, and it could take years, no question, but that mindset will make a company go out of business. It may take a while, but you can't sustain invention and innovation unless you understand the relationship between risk, growth, failure, and learning from what you do.
0: Yeah, a lot. Like, that was the thing that, literally sprung in my mind of also oh, it isn't failure that the companies are afraid of it's the consequences so if a consequence of your failure is we all learn we all grow we all develop and therefore we improve aka from the phone to the echo or if it's a failure okay well you've lost your job like don't come back right. so right. then you've got that fear of well we wouldn't have even came up with the phone if we thought it was going to fail because if it fails, then we no longer have a job. Well, right. then you go from the phone to the echo because, okay, fail, fine. Learn from it. Because if we get better, we, we just might change the world with our next thing. Mm-hmm. So is, is there an element of, and you mentioned culture as well, which I thought is really, really interesting. Do you, do you find that a lot of it is what's incentivized? So, Do Amazon have incentives for certain things based on the culture of the company, I imagine that might differ from other companies that encourages this sort of behavior perhaps?
1: Yeah. And it, 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 yes, they do. And it revolves around employees. And again, one of the principles, uh, in the accelerate cycle is called promote ownership and, um, in, and I'm looking for the right year right now, but in one of the earlier shareholder letters, um, Bezos talks about a story of a friend of theirs that had a rental house and the people renting the house nailed their Christmas tree to the hardwood floors. And he uses that as an example of, you know, owners think different than tenants. Yeah, and even in the very first 97 letter, um, he he acknowledges that their success is a product of talented, smart, hardworking people. Um, And he says, it's not easy to work here. And he says, we will wait compensation for employees to stock, not cash. And so they actually pay lower than market rate for salaries. But at one point, literally every employee at Amazon was eligible for stock options, including fulfillment center workers. That's actually changed a little bit the last couple years, but it's still, he believes very strongly that to think like an owner, you need to actually be an owner. So that's some of that mindset culture that has developed at Amazon over the last 25 years.
0: How far does that go? How far does that ownership actually go? Like I'm all for, you know, workers of a company having shares in the company, if they hit certain parameters or they meet certain criteria, here you go. So you become a part owner, so you've got an an incentive for it to do well, and you obviously take a hit if the company doesn't do so well, which I imagine with Amazon that doesn't happen. Right.
1: Well, it, it has happened, though. Um, but uh, yes, you're right. Not lately. <laughs> no,
0: no. So like, does that does that go... Like for other things, aka if we use the, the phone to the Echo as an example, just because that's something we've been talking about quite a bit, do the people that came up with the phone own that failure as much as they would then own the success of the Echo? How, how far does ownership actually go around the company itself?
1: Well, and I think that that is a great question for a company to ask themselves. So, for example, uh, you know, let's, let's take the Echo. And whatever the group was, if somebody came up with that idea and and think about, you know, again, listeners thinking about their own business. If we have an employee who comes up with a new way to streamline our internal processes that saves the company $15,000, should you incentivize the employee by giving them a piece of that? Or if they come up with a new product idea, should they have a ownership piece, maybe not just stock, but actually ownership piece in the profits generated by that new idea? Wow. If you incentivize your employees in a way like that, again, you have to figure out what makes sense for you. And sometimes it's not about money. Sometimes it's about recognition. In fact, maybe more often than not, it's being recognized as the creator of this product product what would that do and what would that communicate to other employees within the organization you might just spur an invention spree of people coming up with ideas that maybe they had thought of for a
0: while but just never felt like it was worth pursuing yeah i I sort of see how, how i like the um the ownership of the project as well i find that quite interesting because then I understand that the better it does, the more money they get. But then it's almost like the, I mean, years ago, we talked about things like the, uh, the gig economy and things, right? Like you get paid right. per gig and you bet, the better it does, the better you do and all that sort of stuff. That, that tends to reflect quite well in terms of you're compensated, not just like a, a wage or an income or a salary or whatever, but you're also compensated based on how good the ideas are as well like like the people that created the phone probably got like okay brush it off guys you know calm down you'll be all right get back on the horse and come up with something that's better than, than the last one that you did they're probably glad that they work at a company that doesn't punish them too much for failures because lo and behold they they benefited from you know the next thing that they brought out so is there is there anything else you could think of that stood out for you in terms of what separates Amazon from other companies? You can maybe reiterate some points that you've made before or up with something completely brand new, but what really stood out that differentiates them? Well, I, and actually I was
1: just looking at one as you were talking that, um, that I think does stand out that may help uh, people listening to think differently and and it's um, the principle in accelerate uh, cycle called generate high velocity decisions. And so in his 2015 letter, uh, Bezos talks about decision making uh, at Amazon and decisions at Amazon are broken down into uh, two types, type one decisions and type two decisions. So type one decisions are decisions that are irreversible. They are bet the farm decisions. And there aren't that many type one decisions. Type two decisions are reversible as he describes it. If you make a decision and you walk through that door and you look around and you don't like what you see, you can turn around and come back. That decision is reversible you can decide okay I'm going to pivot this way or I'm going to pivot that way or you know what we're going to back off here a little bit and even actually not do what we thought we were going to do. He says what happens too often in companies as they grow is that type two decisions become more type one process. So then you have Multiple committees or multiple approval layers, or you know, you you slow down the decision-making process, and in today's world, when you slow down decision-making, you slow down your growth, and you slow down the company. So I think that's something that really is uh, worth it thinking about. How many decisions are Type One, and how many are Type Two that are reversible, and at Amazon those type two decisions are pushed down to the lowest group capable of making the decision. Right. So one of their principles at Amazon is called the two pizza rule. <sighs> so a group, uh, and it, this could be a meeting or a group that is responsible for a particular piece of a project can be no bigger than what two pizzas can feed. Right. And what they they what they discovered, and actually there's there's more research now with Google and actually uh, some academic research around this decision making process that Bezos knew in, intuitively, is that the bigger the group gets, the the slower the decision process, and he says, at some point, you can't get more information. In fact, he says elsewhere, in a uh, one of his letters that you probably should only have 70% of the information you would like to have to make a decision. If you wait to get 90%, you're going too slow. And in today's world, that's not good. So distinguishing type one and type two decisions and allowing a, a group of, again, quality employees to make those decisions. And frankly, if they don't decide it the right way, change it.
0: So from from what you said there, then, it's almost like the maximized speed of the reversible decisions. So, yes. you know, the, the least people there are to make the decision, you know, the sort of least amount of people that have the responsibility to take action on it, all that sort of stuff is all built around. If we can go back, then we may as well at least go forward to see if we need to go back. You know, like there's no, there's no point in in trying to dwell or try to think about all of it if, well, we can go back. So we may as well just try it and see where it goes. I think that's, that's one of the things that I've at least noticed from our conversation that it's one of the things that spans across everything, is that ability to experiment, take risks, mitigate those risks. It's sort of downplays some of the potential impact of it if it does go wrong as well like if the the less number of people that have the responsibility and get involved the less damage is done if it does go wrong you know they can always pull back and and move on again and it looks like it's prioritizing the speed by doing that but it also reduces the amount of negativity that everyone experiences from Mm -hmm. losses would i be right in saying that
1: Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. And at Amazon, part of the culture is defaulting to taking action. So not studying forever, but default to action because you can change. And, and you have to be nimble enough to do that. And one of their leadership principles, which I think is pretty interesting, is called um, disagree and commit. So in those meetings, you might not get 100% agreement on what the next step should be. Right. But somebody has to make a decision. So the team leader can say, you know what, I disagree, but I commit to helping you in every way possible. I don't think this is going to work. And you have my full commitment to do everything I can to make it work. Like so that. that's an interesting shift, too. It's not, you know, waiting for consensus. It's like, OK, let's make a decision. I don't think you have it right, but I I absolutely am going to do everything I can to help you make it right.
0: So it's almost like, okay, well, I, I disagree, but there's probably a mutual agreement that there's only one way to find out. Right. You know, like, okay, exactly. well, like, this could very well work because I don't know everything, you don't know everything. Let the results speak for themselves and then we can decide. Right. Well, and Bezos says, you know what? If, if people have to convince
1: me of doing something, that's just wasting time. I, I get it. I can, you know, I, I'm smart enough to understand the issues. So let's move forward and find out who's right. And then we learn from there. Do you think that,
0: do you think that that is something that he used all the way from the beginning? Do you think that speed and so what, if it doesn't go well, if we can reverse it, do you think that was something that he did and used and utilized and benefited from, from say day one, or I wouldn't say day one, because he's probably figuring himself out at day one, but you know, from the early days of Amazon, was that something that he did straight away? Yeah, it it,
1: it is. And I think it developed uh, more specifically over those early years. Uh, I, I came across a very interesting um, presentation he gave uh, at a college in uh, Illinois in 1998. So they had only been public for two years at that point, only been in business five years at that point. But even there within that speech, he talks a lot about the principles. So I, I think he had them in his head and as Amazon grew, especially where they he needed to move decisions faster. He started realizing how to do that in the process and then started writing about what Amazon was doing.
0: I like that. I like, I like everything that you shared there it seems to be something that can work for a lot of people. And a lot of companies and businesses can definitely learn from this. I'm, th- I'm thinking, you know, are there anyth- is there anything that you found that Sort of flip it on its head a little bit because I'm quite good at that. Uh, yes. Is there anything that you found that didn't really relate to, you know, smaller companies? That like you looked at some of the things and gone, unless you're a big company, unless you're a company with big ambitions and you have the freedom to take those big actions, that it probably isn't something that you want to use and, and utilize.
1: Well, as we discussed, you know, I think long-term thinking is is harder for a smaller company to um, figure out how to implement. And I think certainly in the scale cycle, several of those, you know, focus on high standards. Well, Amazon still focuses on only hiring employees that meet their high standard. For a smaller company, when you're scrambling just to fill jobs, that can be much harder Uh, to to implement because you have limited resources. You are trying to figure out, you know, where am I going to find that next person or how am I going to do that? So I do think there are some things that may be harder for a smaller business to take a look at, but in that same breath, I would say, don't assume just because Amazon's big that the principles don't apply to you and, and figure out, how they can apply and what even little pieces you can take away. And, and frankly, I'd be thrilled if people read through the book and or the letters themselves and pull out additional principles that I didn't put in or didn't see. Cause I think there is a wealth of information there. Uh, and, and that's that ultimately is what's surprising is, is how much business advice uh he put in there um i think i said early on it's like having jeff bezos as your personal business coach uh and uh, i i don't think there's too many people who wouldn't at least want to ask him some questions
0: no no and i feel like you you've answered a lot of the questions by writing the book and i would encourage everyone to to at least get a copy or are are the letters actually available for people to read is it public knowledge is it public access
1: Yes, it is. It's uh, released. It's available online, certainly at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and whatever your favorite online store is. It's also available in uh, many bookstores, uh, physical bookstores. So you can look for it there.
0: All right. And, well, and let me cool. let me just
1: offer this as a um, uh, just a gift to your listeners sure. is I've actually put together an assessment that looks at the 14 principles and uh, allows anyone, there's no cost to it, allows anyone to kind of identify your uh, risk growth mindset. Uh, And it might be a tool useful uh, to help you understand how these principles might actually apply to your own uh, situation and and organization. And that's available on thebezosletters.com.
0: All right, well, Steve, it's been amazing to have you on um i'm sure we could have gone on for a heck of a lot longer because i feel like we've only really scratched the surface so i may have to either arrange a part two or just buy the book we'll see how it goes (laughs) Um, well i'd be
1: happy to come back michael and uh, appreciate you having me on your show
0: Yeah, no problem. Do you have any parting words for, is there anything that you think that maybe you, you you know, if you finish the interview now and we, we sort of part ways a little bit and you sit there and go, Oh, I wish I'd mentioned that. Is there anything that you think that, you know, we couldn't leave without talking about?
1: What comes to mind honestly is um, really look at and think about that relationship between risk taking and growth. Uh, And we started out the conversation talking about, you know, those relationships. But I think that is a core idea that I hope people will take away and actually look at their own business and and ask the question, is our biggest risk not taking enough? And what does that
0: mean for us? All right, Steve. Well, again, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you taking the, the time out to speak to us. And I'm sure we'll keep in touch.
1: Sounds great. Thank you.